Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hello and welcome to a brand new series of Secret Artists podcast. I'm your host, Annie McGrath, and if you're new to the series, then it's basically comedians doing art. So each week I'm joined by a different comic slash actor and we chat whilst creating an artwork inspired by a subject of their choice. Funny, relaxing, insightful. I like it anyway. Past guests include Nish Kumar, Joel Domit, Lolly Adafope, Nina Conti, Jenny Eclair, Phil Wang, Katie Wicks, Tom Allen and loads more. So check it out. Check out past episodes on Spotify, Acast or Apple Podcasts. Um, but on with the first episode of series three! I'm very excited to be joined by Felicity Ward, an excellent comedian who stars in the brand new Australian drama Wakefield, which is out now on ABC if you're in Australia. It's just received five stars in The Guardian and I'm hoping it'll be available to watch in the UK soon because the trailer looks so good. So in this episode, Felicity and I draw and paint each other over Zoom whilst chatting. There are a few heavy topics which we touch upon, like postnatal depression and mental health issues. Otherwise, we discuss Felicity's role in this huge Australian show and the challenges she faced through filming during a pandemic. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at SecretArtPod to see our artworks And if you like it, then why not subscribe and leave us a nice little review? For now, though, enjoy the episode. Felicity Ward is a fantastic comedian and writer who has made numerous appearances on TV shows such as Live from the BBC, Live at the Apollo, Mock the Week, Russell Howard's Good News, Alan Davies's As Yet Untitled, The John Bishop Show and The Stand Up Sketch Show. She is also an excellent actor who has been in Roisin Connerty's sitcom Game Face, Josh Widdicombe's sitcom Josh and The Inbetweeners 2 film. She is a regular on the Guilty Feminist podcast and I'm very excited about having her on Secret Artists. Hello, Annie. Hello, Felicity. How are you doing? Good. It's um, how do you feel reading someone else's biography to their face? I find it. I, I it amuses me because I find it so awkward. And yeah. um, but I find often people quite like it because they're like, oh, I have actually. Because obviously, being a comedian, we all have this like insecurity complex that we're all shit and haven't achieved anything. Mm. So I think sometimes it can be a nice reminder of yeah how much you've done. I don't know if you feel like that. Well, it's also a thing like you go to the States Mm. and they say, how do you want me to introduce you? And and all the American actors, like uh, comedians, Mm. are like, I did Conan. I did, you know, I've had my own Netflix special. And they've got their spiel. You come to the UK and... That you, the MC asks you, how do you want to be introduced? You're like, well, I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> I just, 
just don't say girl. That's yeah, all yeah. I needed you to say. Don't say comedian and don't say girl. Um, Jack and I once had that. Someone asked us how we wanted to be introduced because we did the sketch duo twins. And we were like, oh, I don't know. Just like, say a sketch comedy act or whatever. I don't really mind. And he was like, your next act is a sketch comedy act. And that was it. It was like, no, the, oh. but then, then you say what we're called. We didn't think that was, you know, necessary. <laughs> That's a given, right? Yeah, surely. Um, <laughs> but yeah, lovely to have you here. And I, L- lovely to see you. I was going to eat another cashew nut, but I just realised. I think the sound of chewing is tolerable, maybe with a crisp where you go, oh, that's a crisp. Yeah. But cashews make, make you a bit well, gluggy. Well, this is quite a sort of um, ASMR-y podcast because we'll be Ooh. doing art. So there's lots of like oh. different sounds. So if you want to be eating cashews. I have... Shall I do my deep, soothing voice with yeah. soft plosives? Love that. Mm, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> mm. are you um what's your experience of art i don't really know if you've if you've done much art as in like drawing and painting wise or um funnily enough i was sort of when i was looking for something to draw with mm. like just before i've just got printer paper yeah um i found this book and i forgot that i was like really into animation when i was oh, uh, cool. so i've got a matt graining book because i was a huge <gasps> simpsons fan amazing it's like, so this is like from 1989 or something and it's it was funny at the time I was like ha 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 this is so funny but it's called childhood is hell <laughs> and it's really dark it's like this kid who's in constant despair and it's like a satirical look on being a kid but it's actually very very dark and that was um are you going to uh, read yeah, it I, to your son <laughs> absolutely not <laughs> when he's 9 and feeling despairing yeah um, but that that I really got into sort of drawing Simpsons like cartoons um, when I was younger, mm. and there's this dumb little dog that I've drawn. I don't know if you have a thing that you've drawn since you were a kid, and you just do, that's your doodle. Yeah, I think I always go for like flowers, which people say is sexual, but I don't. You, yeah, yeah. I think everyone has their just thing they do, like a pattern yeah. you draw or. Yeah, um, I've got a I've got a leaf one that I draw that sort of looks like a softer version of the silver fern, which is the New Zealand national plant. Mm. <laughs> I don't have flora. <laughs> um, and then with art, I did this. I there was a, this is I, I actually forgot this until I was talking to my husband about it last year. We had a subject at school in high school called commercial art. And it was the first year that it was offered. And it was like doing video game design and illustrating books and Whoa, that kind of. That's yeah. so sort of progressive. Yeah, which is weird because it was a school that also tried to actively quash the drama department because they were very much a science, sport um, and math school. That's what they, they mm-hmm. were like a, what you call a grammar school over here. Mm-hmm. Um, uh so it's weird that they would introduce something so progressive. It was almost like a, a tech version of art. Yeah. Um, and I, I really responded to that and really liked how that made my brain feel. Yeah. The thing that I usually do, because even before that, I've just remembered, my grandma's an artist. Mm. She's a painter. It's funny. Yeah, I just remembered. Just remembered. Oh, yeah, that- I've got a family of artists. <laughs> yeah. Um, my mum is Monet. Did you know that? <laughs> no. Um, also, I know that he's uh, he. That was the joke, just in case. <laughs> I got it. Thank you. Um, 
my yeah grandma hasn't painted for years but when we were really young this is such an Australian story there are places that you can pan for gold in Australia so we went camping and we would like go panning for gold yeah. and not you know you'd get some fake gold I think it's called oh there's um, like little gold nuggets yeah there? but it's not it's it's not even but it's not actually gold yeah it's literally fake or yeah. you'd find quartz or stuff mm -hmm. like that and that was really cool too but grandma would have these drawing competitions and she said uh you know whoever whoever it was just between my sister and I and she, she'd say let's draw this apple and so she sort of taught me how to shade mm -hmm. um and then she just happened to have my sister's favorite block of chocolate and then the next day we'd have another one and she just happened to have my one so she my sister would win one I'd win okay. another one so she was fair about it she was fair. She wasn't like driving us yeah. away from each other. Like, <laughs> like she's going to really fuck one of you up. Yeah, that's getting right. in your head yeah. about apples. <laughs> yeah. Um, um. So that's probably that's my youngest memory of it being introduced to me. I suppose. Mm -hmm. Um. So did that make you more into it, or was it like? A com did you find yourself getting competitive about the drawing? No. No, and my sister and I, it's funny, we've shared different things like she went on to study art in high school and that was something that she was very interested in. Mm -hmm. um, she did it her last two years um, for school where for me it was something that I sort of like a, an, another creative element that I had where performing was much more my style. Yeah. But we never really talked about it. Again, she learnt guitar mm -hmm. and I got hurt. She got lessons. She just wanted to make out with guys in bands. Um, but she took lessons for a year. It's a good strategy, um, getting in. It, it is. It's, very, it's method acting. Yeah. <laughs> um, but she taught me three chords and then I still play guitar and she doesn't. So we never really, I don't, she, she, was, she was like a moody teenager and I was like an annoying teenager. Mm -hmm. So those two personalities didn't really like come together over art. Yeah. Well, that's so nice though that you both have like various creative outlets mm. that you could go to mm. um so what should we draw should we draw one of the Matt Groening pictures actually I'm gonna paint I've got some acrylics set oh, up lovely well you, I, I mean we absolutely can the, the thing is they're so simplistic mm. they're just single lines the the other thing that I wanted to this is that what I was thinking when I'm it's only been the last like couple of months that my husband found out that I can draw. We've been together for seven and a half years. Oh, really? And he, he just didn't know that I ha could put pen to paper and he started drawing. Yeah. Um, and so what I've always drawn is I, faces because mm. I love cross hatching and I love shading. So I thought that we could just draw a face. Yeah. It doesn't have to be anyone's in particular or we could draw each other's face. I don't know. <gasps> yeah, that's a good idea. I'm up Is for that. Is that too much? No, no, I'm up for that if you are. Okay. So do you find drawing quite therapeutic? The shading part I really do. Like yeah. when I, it's something that I can, it's that I do really mindlessly, mm. but it feels also the sound of pencils sound yeah. really good on paper. But it's what I like seeing is something that's very simple and basic and being able to make it come to life. Often I start with the nose. Mm. Um, there's, I, I'm sure you've studied this, but there's just some very little tips that I've got over the years and just a couple of them have stuck with me. Yeah. 
And so those parts of the face are usually really good. And then the rest of it's like, how do I shade, shade a forehead? I think faces are so hard. The only thing I ever learned about faces was that your eyes are actually halfway down your yes. head, which I always found mental. Normally people do them too high up. Yeah, so upsetting, right? That yeah, <laughs> they're that high up. That's uh, yeah. That was so. That's one of them. And also shading a nose that you would do, um, the the nostrils, and then like a three quarters of a circle above that, and then you shade it as if you're shading a ball. So I could always do the tips oh, of noses yeah. really good. The bridge of noses absolutely fucked. Cannot cannot do them to save myself. I've done your high, eyebrows too high. Thanks. So you're just gonna you're gonna look. <laughs> surprised um i also think this is harder because we're front on to each other normally faces are a bit easier to draw on profile aren't they oh you think i think it that it's just hard to because we're not sitting still for each other yeah that's true that we're, we're talking and moving i mean yeah i've, I've given you very animated proportions here <laughs> are we allowed to talk about the project you were Working yeah. yeah, the trailer's just gone to air. Oh, great. So it's so exciting. And it was so hard for so many reasons. As you know, I had an eight-week-old baby when we went out, um, and it just felt like everything that could go wrong did go wrong. Mm -hmm. um, like we landed and someone had stolen our bassinet um, off the plane. Uh, the driver wasn't there to pick us up. We got to the Airbnb. There was grease all over the house. There was rotting food in the kitchen. It was just like, Awful. it was, it, yeah, it was so upsetting. And this is after a 24-hour flight. And then, like, our air conditioning blew three days into being there and uh, it was during the bushfires. Oh, yeah. Uh, they didn't fix it for two weeks. I I kind of knew how to, I just, you know, started to adjust to how to look after a baby mm. in the cold. Looking after a baby in the heat is when you can't escape the heat. Yeah. It's hotter outside than it is inside, but inside you feel like you're cooking yeah. if you don't have air con. Um, so it was, a, it was really, really traumatic. And then all of this other massive life stuff happened while we were there, like an ex of mine died someone in oh our family got yeah it was just like i'm not trying to bring people down but it yeah, was i'm so sorry that's if if it horrendous. was all in one if it was in a tv show you'd go we get it she's having a bad run but yeah, this is a, a bit, bit extreme like, unrealistic yeah, yeah it needs to be a bit more believable genuinely oh. um and this so is all was, pre-pandemic isn't it yeah so when the pandemic i hit i'm like least of my problems <laughs> least of my problems and i had postnatal depression i had to see like I didn't have to see, but I was seeing a therapist out there. Mm -hmm. um, it just, yeah, it was just wild. Yeah. So then the pandemic hit and we started to, I remember I, I did a TV spot for another show while I was there mm. and I remember getting the makeup done and the TV was on and the news was like doing stories about the virus. Yeah. And the other comic who was on looked at me and said, do you reckon this is like one of those movies where we're all just sitting around being really casual and the world's about to implode and we don't know it? And I went, <laughs> yeah, probably. And then the end of the next week, our production had to get shut down because we'd be tried to social distance mm. and we'd done everything we could, but it just wasn't sustainable. Yeah. The Sunday night we got told it's done. 
Friday we got told, the Friday before we said we're going to do one more week and then on the Sunday night they said we're not going ahead. Quick little plug from me. I urge you all to watch Grave New World, a brand new comedy series which is available now on Amazon. It's a surreal take on a post-lockdown world created by former secret artists, guest and producer of the podcast, Stuart Laws. I also pop up in the series alongside some excellent people like James Acaster, Sadia Azmat and loads more. Watch it, review it, live, laugh, love it. It's a Turtle Canyon production and it is excellent, if I may say so myself. So then my husband and I were like, oh, this is actually quite nice. We'll have a couple of weeks where we can go and see our family, which we're an hour and a half away and we can relax and, you know, we'll go back in a couple of weeks and... So that afternoon, the production called and said, hey, when were you thinking about going back? And we said, probably in a couple of weeks. And they said, okay, if it's got to be sooner than that, what would work for you? And we're like, oh, you know, maybe in a week. And Mm. Frankie, our son, had to get his vaccinations that week. Oh, right. Um, So the next day they called us and said, look, uh, this is getting a little bit full on. Mm. Um, Maybe... Maybe if it's if it's okay, we'll we'll stick to Sunday because I don't think we're going to get a flight after that. I'm like, oh, okay. Oh yeah, you got like, sorry, just remembered yeah. you getting like one of the last flights back or something. Yeah. Well, then they called again that afternoon and said, look, this isn't looking good, and I think that you do you have a contingency plan because we can't get you on a flight. And I was like, what? Oh. They're like, do you have family you can stay with? Do you have you know what? what's um your plan mm. and we're like oh yeah we we could stay with family and they're like we think that's how it's going to go um we've got you on reserve on standby for two flights um this is on the wednesday he they actually said that they said we've got you on standby for a flight tomorrow and one on friday but the chances of you getting on are very very unlikely mm. so did you and- just have to have all your stuff packed and just be like essentially ready to leave at any point. Well, we didn't know. We were so exhausted because I was still breastfeeding through the night Mm. or we were still feeding through the night. Like this is, we still only have a, he was four months by that stage. That's still a very, very young baby. So on top of being exhausted from filming and being a mum for the first time, Mm. we all, I I sort of said, so should we pack? And they're like, I don't know. So we did like a little pack, right? You just need someone to like tell you exactly what to do in that situation. Just tell me. I absolutely cannot do anything. Um, So then Thursday morning at 8.30 in the morning, they say, we've got you on a flight if you want it, but it's at 2 p.m. this after 4 p.m. this afternoon so you we'd have to pick you up at 1 p.m. do you want it and I sort of said uh talk to Chris and get back to you and called like five back five minutes later we took we took the flight so that meant we had four hours to pack up a three-bedroom house with all like cots bassinets Mm -hmm. all of our bottles all of the toys that people had brought over our friends were so kind and so helpful yeah um, and fortunately, people from the show came over as well and helped us because we were off our face. We just we couldn't focus, let alone figure out what we needed to mm. do. Um, and then yeah, we just we just packed up and left and got back here. And then 
I thought there's no way the show's going to get back up soon, but because Australia was so on top of things, yeah, I then had to go back out in July. Wow. And leave leave Frankie for five weeks. So that was full on. Yeah, I bet. So they managed to finish, was it supposed to be like two months of the remaining shoot in half the time, basically? Yes. So they just doubled up everyone's shooting. So I shot three weeks but had to be in quarantine for two weeks before that. Okay. God, that must have been intense. Oh, and one of the like – there was people that had just made it over the border from Victoria into New South Wales because we were filming in New South Wales mm. and um, and it was my friend's birthday and she said, let's just go out for dinner because we were all supposed to quarantine. Um, she said, we'll just go out to this one restaurant. No one was going to restaurants or anything like that mm-hmm. from the cast because we were told we have to basically be in isolation while we're filming because there's so many people involved yeah. um, that we just can't afford to have anyone so they just went out for one meal before shooting started Mm -hmm. and of course someone there had the virus two days before there was a new case fuck and so there was like a chance that they wouldn't be able to that she wouldn't be able to film for like two more weeks and and then the the government said oh no it's okay it's only one day either side we don't think it's two days either side that you that you you are clear, so that ended up being fine. I'm, I'm sorry if I'm not making a lot of sense. I, no, you I'm, are. Um, You're making total sense. Just can't get over feel, what a I, shit show of a year it was. Oh, Annie, it's just been unstoppable. Like, uh, uh, yeah, I can't. I'm so glad you got to go out and finish the show, though. Me that, too. Otherwise, me that, too. I mean, that would have been infuriating. Um, and what is it? Is it out only in Australia? It's a TV show, right? It's a TV drama. TV drama. It's set in a psychiatric unit. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had postnatal depression and was playing a psychiatric nurse treating people who had postnatal depression. Perfect. Hmm. Did that help you feel? It was wild. It was wild because it was actually an escape for me. Yeah. Acting was an escape for me because I didn't have to feel the pressure of the, because I just felt as part of postnatal, I felt immense responsibility, immense pressure. I just I, I didn't take to it as naturally as I thought I would. I was mm-hmm. so ready to be a mum and I've always had really maternal instincts, mm-hmm. um, but it just didn't um, – I wasn't prepared for the sleep deprivation Yeah, and I wasn't prepared to give up what I thought, what I needed to, i.e. I had to abandon the idea of sleeping like someone who doesn't have a child. Yeah. Like going to bed at 11 – but it's so, it must be so hard, like, even if you can logically understand that's what you have to do. It's such a physical thing and your body's just under such huge amounts of stress oh. and pressure and, and you need sleep. It's not like you're yeah. getting out of order of being like, oh, I miss sleep. It's like you literally have to sleep or yeah. you get unwell. And I, I was going madder and madder and so my idea was I would um, – the la- because he'd wake like three times in a night, mm. if I went to sleep at 11 or midnight, mm. then I'd probably only have to wake up once or twice before he was up for the day at five or six. So I was getting like four hours sleep broken, oh. if that, for I don't know how many weeks. Yeah. And I went mad, um, obviously. And then, th- I mean, I got the email for that audition mm. when he was 12 days old. <laughs> well, you obviously smashed it. 
And the funny thing is, I I thought there's no way I'm getting this part because I don't know who this character is. I just I read it and I'm like, it seems like there's bits all I couldn't put the different facets of her character into a sphere. Mm. You know what I mean? You know when they all make sense and you can roll it into like a beef patty and go, oh, this will make a burger. Yeah. Yeah. I sort of had, I could see egg and I could see mince and I could see breadcrumbs, but I couldn't like squish them together. Yeah. Um, not a vegan friendly metaphor there. <laughs> um, but, but, but do you think that helped in a way with the character? Do you think they didn't have a clear idea or do you think it's just, um, it's something that came to you when you did get the part? We're, we're not, we're at the table read. I read, was reading it. I'm like, oh, this is who she is. It oh, I know who this is. Clicked into place. Yeah, I, like there were some bits of the of the audition that I was getting the character. I'm like, oh, this feels like it. And I think there was someone else who was up for the part as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I've made you look like a goth, and I don't know why. I'm sorry. I've sort of increasingly made you look like a teenager. All right, you look sad in this photo and uh, this picture, and you're not meant to. That's fine. You, d- you don't. You don't look like this. <laughs> Yeah, I didn't think I'd get the part and then I got it and we had a five-week-old baby and so then we spent the three weeks getting passports and getting visas and I'm travelling across London with a baby, still not like fully physically recovered Yeah, and not knowing that I've got postnatal so my body feels like concrete at all times and like lifting prams upstairs because there's no lifts anywhere. It's still yeah, it's like crazy. It's, isn't it like 30% of the tubes in London have accessibility, like lifts and ramps and stuff? Really, really bad. It's so insane. That's, that's another thing where I got like with Australia, because we're a much newer country mm. um, or, you know, since white people invaded, uh, that... Uh, there's no train stations that don't have a ramp, a lift. Yeah. Like that that doesn't exist. So. I mean, you'd think that should be the case in somewhere like London, but I don't know why it's taken so long. But do you know what they say? They go, oh, because the trains are so old. You're like, they're not going to get any younger. Mm. Like they're like, oh, yeah, the platforms, you know, the stations are so old. You're like, well, you just need to figure it out because that's most people. Need to put some money into it. Yeah. Even when they redid Tottenham Court Road, they put in one lift. I'm like, what are you talking about? Where are you from? <laughs> yeah. Do you know how many people are in London and use Tottenham Court Road? You've seen people, right? Yeah. But the people anyway. in charge of making the decisions probably don't get yes. the tube. So. No. That's so cool, though. Congratulations. What a huge Thanks, achievement mate. during such an awful year. And yeah. How satisfying to watch it. Like, absolutely love it. I can't wait to see it. I hope I get the chance to see it. Me here. too. I, I, I'm just so, I, yeah, it's, um. so the director, they've, they've got two directors. Mm. One director directed the first three episodes mm-hmm. and the last two episodes and then there's a different director who directs the four, five and six, the, the three middle episodes. Mm-hmm. Um, Joss, who did one, two, three, seven, eight, she directed, um, do you know the film The Dressmaker that Kate Winslet was in? I that was don't, prob- I don't think I've seen it, but I've, yeah, it rings a bell. And she directed How to Make an American Quilt. She produced Priscilla, Queen of the Desert. Like, wow, she's, she's a big shot. 
yeah, she's like an iconic Australian director mm-hmm. and um, that was another reason that I did it because I'm like, Jocelyn Morehouse is directing this? Even I've heard of her and I yeah. don't know anyone. <laughs> I'm Sandra and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. How have you found, um, you know, the absence of live gigs and stuff? I guess it's been this year the filming has fallen, you know, at the perfect time with no gigs and yeah. stuff. But have you yeah, missed that- it? I've only missed it when I've done it. Once I've done mm. it, I've gone, oh, my God, I missed this. I really love it. But because I didn't really get maternity leave because of uh, the show, mm-hmm. um, I got a chance just to spend time with my bub again and, you know, us become really good mates. Yeah. Um, because it's because I absolutely loved him from the moment I saw him, but I didn't, I wasn't like, I didn't have the rush of oxytocin. Mm. Lots of women have, as soon as they see the baby or, you know, whoever is having the baby, as soon as they see their baby, they're overwhelmed with love. And I didn't Mm. have that. I was like, oh, he's here. We've been waiting. Like that's, this is my new little mate. And because I was so stressed out for those first couple of months, I got time to, for him to get to know me and know that and for him to know that I love him, you know, like when yeah. we we're in Australia, my husband would walk in the room and my bubba's face would just light up. Like he couldn't believe his luck every time he saw his dad. Oh. And then with me, it was like I'd put on a five-star show, just like a full <laughs> pantomime, and I'd get a corner of the mouth going, hmm. I'm like, what? You just laughed at your dad just looking at you. Yeah. I'm doing dancing. You're I'm trying doing... too hard. I'm trying too yeah. hard. You've got to play hard to get um, that must be quite hard, though. It was. It it really was. Um, I, not that I wanted him to love his dad any less. Like I was delighted and mm. it's so beautiful watching a baby just go, oh, you, mm. I get to see you again. <laughs> um, that's like, that's an amazing feeling. Mm. Uh, but, yeah, it's really hard going, am, am I going to get better at this? Is he going to like me more? At some point, uh, am I doing something wrong? Am I? It's the the weird thing is when you've given birth to the baby is that you have such an inextricable link mm. that even from the time they're conceived, well, and you know once they have receptors and nerves, but yeah. they are for the first you know for the all, all most of cho- of uh, pregnancy and then the first six months whatever you're feeling, they're feeling. 
They're so perceptive. Yeah. If you're stressed out about breastfeeding, which is completely normal, then that then you they will be stressed out about it. They know there's something wrong and they don't know why. Um, I feel like I read somewhere, and this might be totally untrue, so please correct me if I've misunderstood, um, but that stress hormones can be passed on through breastfeeding. I think so. That it wouldn't surprise me at all. I feel like I read that somewhere, but it's one of those things that, like, that sounds true, but it could be a load of words. Oh, I think that that's true. And, like, you know, what the advice is, you know, the more you relax, the more baby relax and you'll be but, bonded and you're like, that's the most stressful thing to hear, Yeah, that your baby's temperament, current temperament is reliant on you being relaxed when you're not sleeping and you have the most responsibility you've yeah. ever had in your life. It's very stressful advice. Just don't be stressed. Yeah, it's like telling an anxious person, you know, if you relax, you won't feel anxious. Yeah. You're like, yeah, no. Well, like, don't be nervous. Okay. Like, okay. Yeah. I haven't thought of that. <laughs> Thanks. God, that, yeah, and it must have been difficult as well at a time where you can't, like, meet up with other people and discuss, like, other new mothers and discuss how you're all yeah. feeling about things because I'm sure what you're feeling isn't unusual and so many yeah. people must go through that. But I imagine it's difficult when you're not able to have the conversations yeah. with people. And also, like, when you have depression, you don't want to see people anyway. Yeah. So... <clears throat> on the one hand, I loved that I couldn't see people because I felt that's what I want to do. I want to isolate. I don't want to tell people my problems because yeah. it's weird and I'm doing fine. And I didn't want to share, you know, my NCT group, they're so, like, they're such a great bunch of um, parents. Mm -hmm. But I didn't, like, I didn't feel like it was the right place to say, I'm really struggling with postnatal. I feel dark, isolated because you. I met these people for three days on a weekend. Yeah, you know, and I remember this is like one of my lasting memories. Memories of um having a a new baby. It was New Year's Eve, and everyone was dressing up their babies and like taking photos. And I'm like, how do you have the the space in your mind and emotionally to dress your baby up? Like, aren't you just figuring out how to feed yourself? Yeah. Aren't you figuring out how to fit a shower in? They just seemed like they were coping so much better than me. What were they and, dressing up the babies as? Oh, just putting like a, a hat on them that oh, had twenty right. twenty or okay, you know, like yeah, yeah. Um, but like they're like, oh, we're having a glass of wine, and I'm like, aren't you fighting? Aren't you? <laughs> aren't you saying you go to sleep now and I'll get this or? Because Frankie was had colic as well, which mm. means they they cry for a minimum of three hours a day, up to, for a minimum of three weeks. And we were at week six by the, that stage, and he was still doing it. Mm. And that went on until he was like three and a half months. Um, but I I remember one of them saying, one of the mums on the group saying, "Hey, does anyone have a good casserole recipe?" And I just thought, <laughs> "Fuck off!" Well, just like. I started crying because I thought, you have time to read recipes? You have the emotional space to think about the future beyond this second? I just felt so overwhelmed. Mm. And, um, I, yeah, I just couldn't, I, d I couldn't open up to them. Now I've met a couple of mums at nursery. We've, we've been texting each other, messaging each other. They're like, how are you going? I'm like, pretty shit actually. I just figured like I, I have to be honest otherwise 
I might die. Yeah. <laughs> like that, it feels it feels that important. I also feel like it just takes one person to actually say how they're really feeling. And then suddenly yeah. I bet you've had other people now confiding in you yeah, about yeah. how they've been feeling as well. Yeah. And that's always been my experience with anything mental health related to yeah. that whenever I say, oh, yeah, I've got anxiety and depression, you see some people's eyes widen. They're like, oh, she knows. Yeah, it's okay to talk about it. Yeah, it's safe. I can't tell you how little this looks like you, by the way. I'm yeah, no, I, this doesn't look like you at all. Um, no. It looks like a person, but it definitely doesn't look like you. No, not at all. No. <laughs> Going back to sort of anxiety and depression, I know it's something you've spoken about a lot in your stand-up. She's banged on about it, Annie. It? She has banged on about it. <laughs> do you think there's a connection between comedy or people who do comedy and and anxiety or do you think it's just no I think that it just seems so juxtaposed Mm. it seems so contradictory that people who are just you know have chosen a job that um is supposed to make you laugh that they could feel bad that to an outsider it seems impossible it seems like an impossible combination Mm. um that I know shy comedians seems probably impossible to most people and when I first started I'm like how could you do this if you're shy I didn't know yeah because I'm an extrovert um but it's it's an outlet and it's an expression like art is I suppose Mm -hmm. well no it is um so I just think that one it seems contradictory to the job description Mm -hmm. uh and a terrible choice for ourselves (laughs) uh but two, because we also have a platform to then talk about it. Yeah. Um, you know, there's probably, there, well, I made a documentary about mental illness years ago, probably seven years ago now in Australia. Mm. And in construction in Australia, uh, construction workers are six times more likely to die from suicide than any other work-related injury. So Fuck, yeah. they're not comedians. But there's there's different, you know what I mean? There's yeah. different pressures and structures in each industry um, that mean that they are more prone to it. But having said that, they're not more prone to depression, I don't think, but they're more prone to suicide because of the um, machismo involved in the environment that they work, mm. that uh, there's a lot of middle management bullying uh, really? That is part of the culture, uh, and what you have when you go from school, you have a very coddled environment. It's very structured. You know, you get lunch is here, and you know, recess is here, and mm-hmm. you know what's on at the ca- at the canteen, and you know this teacher, and the, it's it's all very ordered for you. Yeah. And then when you train uh, to have a trade in Australia, it's very high overheads, like buying a a car that can facilitate your tools. You've got to buy your tools. And then also to study, you get paid very, very terrible wages as an apprentice for three or four years. So you've got high overheads. You've got a lot of pressure, yeah, uh, financial and emotional from the uh, from the cultural environment. Um, and so often there, you know, culturally very similar in Australia as the UK that men stereotypically don't have outlets where they can 
buffer this their pain where they can have conversations about it that stops it from going further mm. so they often turn to they can turn to alcohol they can turn to gambling they can turn to things that actually create more pressure and then it can take something as simple as a breakup yeah and they go straight to 100 because they've been holding the pressure holding the pressure holding the pressure and then they just explode and they don't have they're not given this um solutions or or tools emotional tools to help mitigate that along the way so sad isn't it but do you think that's changing i think it is that i mean the people that i slow like all changes mm. um but the people that we were speaking to they're called mates in construction and what they do is they literally go from work site to work site give a half day seminar and talk about the rates of suicide and then they set up a um like a structure within the site so they have someone who they can go and talk to if they're struggling if they've got emotional or financial or mental health issues that they're struggling with they can go to that person they're like a point man on site and then further they uh they train people for like um suicide first aid mm. um so they they uh they're trained what to do to look for signs. They're trained what to do if someone makes an attempt, um, if, if someone does uh, take their life, if they do suicide. Actually, I'm trying to remember what the correct wording is. I think it's suicide. Died by suicide. By suicide, yeah. I think. Died by suicide, yeah. yeah. Um, so if they died by suicide, they then know how to um, uh, like deal with it on site in the aftermath as well. Um, so they're an incredible organisation. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it's you, you know that there's like three countries in the world where women have a higher suicide rate than men. It's all men. Mm. I feel all of it should be really like tackled in schools, shouldn't it? I think. It's Maybe a it is fucking now, but... international emergency. Yeah. Men die at like three times the rate of women in most cases. I'm, I'm pretty sure most countries men are dying at three times the rate by suicide than women. Yeah, and young men as well. Yeah, I think it's 25 to 40 are the... Yeah. Yeah. Do you have any favourite artists? Look, I'm pretty uh, mainstream. Mm. I really love Salvador Dali. Yeah, he's I, great. I, I went to... There's a um, desert in... Uh, uh, it's in South America. I think it's in Chile. Yeah. And it's where the persistence of memory, um, the backdrop is uh, from. Is that the melting clock one? The melting yeah. clock one, yeah. I couldn't believe I remembered the persistence of memory. Yeah, I, I usually call it the melting clock. <laughs> the melting clock piece. one. Yeah. Um, so you know how that's desert in the background? Yeah. Well, I went to the desert where that's uh, where it is. And it's, so cool. it's got such an eerie quality about it. The shadows look drawn on. They don't look real. It's, um, yeah, it's wild. Yeah. So I really love that style. And I mm. went to um, his museum oh, in wow. Spain and it's the most, it's one of the most incredible things I've ever seen. It was just like they have the May West room where you walk in and it just looks like a bedroom that's been decorated in beautiful colours and gold and it's, you know, very Crazy. sort of um, opulent. But then you walk up a little set of stairs and there is a, a huge magnifying glass 
or a fisheye lens rather, mm. and you look into the room and it makes Mae West's face so that oh. the, the base of the, like the footer of the bed looks like it's just um, some red sort of fountains going away from each other. But when you look through the glass, they're the, they're the top of Mae West's lips. Yeah, I remember. There's, isn't it, there a sofa as well that's the Mae West lips? It's like bright yeah, red. Yeah. 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 Or maybe it's a sofa at the end of the bed. I can't cool. remember. Yeah. And then there was like this, they have a, a garden courtyard and uh-huh. there's this piece that's a car that's full of plants and a concrete naked woman who's chained to the front, standing on top and she's sort of shackled to the front. Yeah. Yeah, if you, if you the May West room, if you can Google that. In the museum, yeah, that's it. Oh, yeah. So the the picture frames make up the eyes. Yeah, the picture frames are the eyes. Um, but when you're not looking at it, and the curtains from the air. Yeah, that's really cool. It's really cool. So yeah, and what happened? There's t- that's right. There's two mannequins inside the car, and the car just fills up with water, and then empties again, and then fills up with water and empties again, and it's just um i've just never seen anything like it it was so mad the whole thing was so mad yeah and i i just loved it i loved that i wasn't looking at something that i was supposed to enjoy do you know what i mean yeah yeah it's just sort of surprising and interesting rather than um critically acclaimed yeah (laughs) i actually that was a huge epitome i had with art where i always thought that i had to enjoy it and that I was missing something. I always felt really dumb when I went to museums and galleries. Mm. And then I had a, a, a big life change when I was like 27 and I left my partner and I stopped drinking and I had to move back in with my mum and I got this opportunity to travel overseas mm. um, for work and so I just made it around the world trip. And, um, and so I went to Spain as part of that uh, it was after my first Edinburgh that I only went as a punter. Mm-hmm. Um, so I went, oh, I also went, to, but I went to New York before that and I was standing outside the MoMA and um, I said to myself, okay, Felicity, you're going to buy a ticket, you're going to go in. If you're bored, you're going to leave. You don't have to spend a certain amount of time in there. Yeah. I, had to, I had to have that conversation <laughs> with myself. Because I didn't go to university and I've always really been caught in two worlds where I grew up really working class um, and pretty poor, Mm -hmm. um, but I always had a thirst for knowledge and I always had a a curiosity for the world and I was too artsy-fartsy for where I grew up. But then when I went into an artsy-fartsy world, I felt too working class. Right. If that makes sense. Yeah. And I I still get it when I'm around really rich people. I feel like they can smell it on me, you know, that my mum collected coupons. (laughs) Um, I do think everyone has that um, insecurity about like going into museums and galleries, though. Even people you might consider to be like knowledgeable or of the right class or whatever. Yeah. I find most people I've spoken to on the podcast have been like, yeah, I don't really know what I'm talking about. Like everyone prefaces chatting with like oh I don't really know anything about and then of course like everyone knows basically what they like and what they you know what they're drawn to but I think there's this pressure to be like to know about um history of art or yeah I don't feel like I I know what I'm talking about but people think I do (laughs) 
Yeah, I feel like, well, I feel like if you have a talent in the area, then you can talk about it because you at least have your experience of it. Um, but then everyone has their experience of it. And I feel like true. in lockdown, it's been quite revealing how everyone from all different backgrounds have been drawn to creativity and yeah. making even the like the NHS rainbows on the window. Like, yeah, everyone yeah, yeah, has, you're right. you know, been creating as a way of escaping. Yeah. Um, well, I tell you that time that I went into MoMA, I, um, I ended up staying there for four hours. Really? Because they, they had a pop art exhibition on and it was just, you know, like I can remember the times that I have been so affected by a gallery. Mm. So that was one of them. Uh, the Salvador Dali Museum was another one. Another one I was doing, so the Melbourne Comedy Festival has something called Roadshow um, for people that don't know, and it is after the comedy festival has finished, they send two tours going around Australia to smaller towns and cities that wouldn't otherwise get comedy or that just get a taste of the comedy that's been um, at the festival this year. Mm. So I was in Canberra and had a day to burn. So I went to the um, National Gallery there and they had a soft sculpture exhibition and it blew my mind. I could not believe every every single piece. Like I still feel it when I th I think about when before you walked in, the piece that was outside, they had two pieces outside in the foyer. Mm -hmm. One of them was a, uh, an, a lily mm -hmm. and it was made of essentially lilos, like a, a floating lilo. Wow. So it was made of that plastic material and it would all of a sudden air would be pumped into it and it would blow up to stand up like a proper lily and it would look incredible. And then it would take about 20 seconds to deflate and you just watch this fly, flower deflate and then it would stand to attention again and it just it was mesmerising. Oh, yeah. And then across from it was um, they'd built a fake wall off the wall so it looked like a piece of the wall had been pulled out and then they had these oversized pills <laughs> of all different shapes and colours that were very pop arty. Yeah. Like they were really bright colours but it was... They were just spilling out onto the floor. They were pouring out of the wall and onto the floor. And then there was another piece inside that were um, these two enormous walls that were made of plastic bags. So you'd walk through it and it would sort of suffocate you. It would stick to you because of the natural, um, you know, when you rub your head with a balloon? Yeah, like balloon. the static energy. <laughs> the static, yeah. 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 So it would... It would it would sort of stick to you and you'd feel like you were being touched by someone but it was a bag and it was all the way along and then there was another piece that was just um, like a huge piece of what's the material that I'm thinking of? Oh, God, I can't think of it. It's like hard wax, like lacquer but not. Um, it, they look like two massive slices of toffee apple, of toffee. Amazing but they were really heavy and they were suspended yeah. from the roof and even the slightest movement you'd see them like wave in the in the breeze and you could yeah. feel the weight when they moved when you, just by looking at them i can still remember like so many pieces this is the last yeah. one i'll talk about but this person had knitted all the different human organs 
and they were suspended from the roof and you went into a room and they just had um, like single uh, light bulbs hanging from the ceiling as well. So you just saw the shadows all around the room of these like comical knitted kidneys and throats and you know lungs you'd see them then shadowed on the wall it was it sounds really cool you know when you it's like discovering a a genre of music that you've never heard of you're like tibetan throat singing okay (laughs) i didn't know this was a thing and i love it so you like quite sort of immersive like almost performative art like even the dali room it's like you're you're in the face aren't you yeah. Um, the, the May West room, sorry. Um, I suppose they're the ones that affected me the most. Um, yeah. But I, I think it's probably just because it's um, the presentation is so original where I've seen lots yeah. of incredible photos. I've seen lots of incredible artworks hung on walls. But when mm. you're walking through a plastic bag wall and you're having a physical and emotional experience just from walking, yeah, I think that that's really incredible art. In any, you know, when you see a show, a comedy show or a piece of theatre and you're, you you know, you're laughing so hard you can't breathe, mm-hmm. you're like, what's happening? Why is this happening? Yeah. <laughs> and that's that's the power of art. Like it's, I think as a comedian it's really um, tricky to talk about it at, at, in a respectfully and to talk about it seriously, like comedy is an artwork, an mm, art form. Mm. But if someone's making you laugh so hard you can't breathe and all you're doing is watching them, that's something that's really powerful. Quick fire. Oil or watercolour? Oh, water. Portrait or landscape? Portrait. Can you separate the art from the artist? Oh, I find that very difficult. On some, I'm a hypocrite sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> Tortured artist or rational doctor? Uh, rational doctor because I can't have a conversation with a tortured artist. It's <laughs> very boring. Edinburgh Fringe or Melbourne Comedy Festival? Edinburgh Fringe. Talk Don't a- tell them. <laughs> <laughs> Talk about or think about art? Talk about. Sydney or London? Sydney. Looking at a painting close up or far away? Close up. Private view or view of privates? Oh, private view. <laughs> Painting from life, landscape or still life? Life, landscape or still life? Uh, life. Pooing or weeing yourself? Oh, weeing. Yeah. Much easier clean up. <laughs> You'd be Who's surprised how many. Yeah. No. <laughs> a, couple, a couple of people have, weirdly. Um, was it Lou Sanders? Uh, <laughs> I just think it's Lou Sanders. <laughs> I think it was Fern Brady. Oh, um, yeah, okay, that makes sense as well. <laughs> <laughs> art or tech? Uh, art. Art or food? Food. Art no, art, art, art. <laughs> art or books? Uh, books. And finally, is what you do art? Yes. Oh, no, wait, actually, that's not the finally. The finally is dicks or pussies. <laughs> oh, um, I mean, pussies are better, but I like dicks. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> I love it because it's sort of like caricature but it's also realistic. And I love the yeah. plant you've done in the background. I love the shading. I think it, oh. I think it does look a bit like me. Do you? Oh, that's good. Yeah. It's sort of your eyes are too small, like your eyes are much bigger on your face in real life 
and I've given your cheeks to like your I've I've made it so that it looks like your cheekbones go in when actually you've got you don't have that decrepit face of like you don't look wizened like I've drawn you. No, I don't, I don't think. think you've drawn me wizened. I think it's, oh, good. it's nice. Wilfred Wood. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you see what I mean? So they're like the portraits, yeah. they have like the essence of the person, but the features are a bit closer together. That really reminds yeah, me yeah. of, um, yeah, your, your piece really reminds me of that. Hmm. Yeah, I absolutely see why. I love it. Okay, mine's a bit wet. <laughs> And I've made you look a bit like a librarian. But... Oh wow! Can you see it? You're amazing, Annie. I think I. So do I describe it to people? It's. I mean, it looks. Um, it does look forlorn, but I. It looks <laughs> like I'm. But it looks like I'm deep in thought about like a, a lost love, or that my library is burnt down, yeah. and. <laughs> What I, I don't understand about painting is I do not understand colours. I don't know how to put them together. That's why I just work with pencils. But I think it's just beautiful, Annie. I think oh, it's amazing. Thanks. Oh, you're so talented. Yeah, it doesn't look like you at all. But um... It looks like me in like 15 years. <laughs> yeah, it's not a kind. I think it's because it's hard to draw eyes open, isn't it? So I went for the eyes shut, which makes you look Looking down. way more forlorn. Yeah, um, yeah. There we go. Oh, that's been really wow. fun. Thank you so much. Amazing. For Thank on. you. Oh, my God. I feel so honoured that you've painted me. Well, well, thank you so much for listening. Hope you enjoyed that. If you want to see mine and Felicity's artworks, then check out at Secret Art Pod on social media. Make sure you're following Felicity too. She's on Twitter and Instagram at Felicity Ward. Makes sense. It's her name. I'm on Twitter at Annie McTweet and on Instagram at McGrath.Annie or at McGrath.Art for my art. We'll be back next week with another episode. Until then, hope you're all doing okay. Keep drawing, keep painting, keep putting one foot in front of the other. Thanks for joining us. Bye, 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 bye. Secret Artists is a Turtle Canyon comedy production for Acast. Music by Alistair Clayton. Quickfire Round Music by Steve Dunn. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.